Good morning, everybody. Thank you for showing up. Uh, my name's Kevin Thewitt. I am the, the, the feedback king, sounds like right now. Um, I'm the director of consulting for Commonwealth. I've been in the automation business since 1988. Uh, my specialty has always been in the highly automated world. Uh, some of my biggest projects, one project I did had $156 million in just in automation inside of the, it was actually, we had to make it in three separate buildings to combine it all together because we couldn't do it in one, we couldn't find a piece of property actually big enough to do. But uh, I've done some fairly automated systems. I've seen some things work, I've seen some things not work. And so what I'm gonna do today is kinda go through some of the some of the things to watch out for, because everybody's situation is different. Not everybody's the same. You, you move different things, and even buildings or customers that have the same product in multiple distribution centers don't necessarily do the same thing from building to building. So we'll kind of go through some of that and some of the things to watch out for. And if you have questions, please feel free to ask, raise your hand, um, be more than happy to answer any questions. So one of the questions I get a lot is, what's the best automation? Well, there's not an answer for that. All the automation exists because there are different ways of doing things. You have different products. And so really to, to answer that question, you can't. You can't say what's the best way. But I get asked that question a lot. In fact, I was in a, a meeting earlier this morning and they had a customer that we've worked with for years asked me the same question. Well, what's the best way to handle my product? Well. That's, that's the how long is the rope kind of question. So there isn't. Now way back when, when I started to work on a PhD, one of the things I looked at was how many different ways there were to automate. And when you go through and do the math, those, the answer is one times 10 to the 30th possible combinations that you could put together. So trying to pick one of those to say this is the best is really impossibility. Now when you take that number and you now apply all the different types of industries, that number balloons up to one times 10 to the 80th. So there's a whole lot of different ways to handle automations. So there's quite a bit that you can and cannot do. If you wanna know should you automate, there's probably a good chance that you should. There is a level of automation that just about anybody can do. And what's wrong with you just is based on a lot of different factors. And that. But I will tell you, in most cases, it doesn't make much sense to automate more than about 80% of what you're doing. There's a couple chairs up here in front. That's okay, I won't embarrass you too bad. You can, you can come up here, it's all right. There's a couple here. I can move Jesse, He'll, he, can, he can come up here. <laughs> That's all right, he's used to getting bossed around. So. In most, as I say, in most cases, it doesn't make much sense to automate more than 80% of your operation. That last 20% is usually the most expensive. And it also becomes really the most interdependent. The system becomes closed loop. And as systems become closed loop, they come, become very dependent on every part of the process. And I'll actually through a, a situation here a little bit later where a customer did a fully enclosed loop, fully automated system that was a one-touch receive and then loaded onto a trailer 
type of an operation, had 11 people in the distribution center, and it failed. And it failed because of probably what would be considered the most simplistic and easiest part of the system. So we'll, I'll kind of go through some of that. But just know that, that that last part, it can be very expensive, and it, very, and it becomes very uh, interdependent type of an operation. So why do you want to automate? Well, there's a lot of reasons. Right now, probably the most popular reason is because you're going from retail to retail and e-commerce, and you're trying to figure out how to maybe repurpose some equipment, or how can you change what you've got without actually having to tear everything down and, and set it up someplace else. There are a lot of different reasons to do it and that. But there's a lot that you can do, and there's a lot to cause you to want to go into the world of automation. There's a lot of benefits. Okay? Obviously, it's, you know, in the end, it's all about profitability, pure and simple. That's what it's all about, is how much money the company can make. How much can you save? How, how can you get things out the door better? It might be that you just flat out have to do it because you've outgrown your system. I just had a customer went through that. They had 35-year-old automation in the building. And it just doesn't make sense to use it anymore because the volumes weren't there. They couldn't handle the volume through their sortation system. They couldn't handle uh, the amount of maintenance it was taking to keep things running all the time. It was constantly shutting down. And so there are other reasons to automate. But that's, there, are, there are a lot of different reasons. There are different drivers. Um, faster is... Faster is usually better, as long as it's accurate. Faster is better. If you can turn it around and say, I have same-day delivery, or I can take my orders later in the day before I actually start to pick them, so I can get more in and then get it out by the same period of time you need to get it out to satisfy your customers. There's, there's all of these benefits that you look for. And then, of course, labor, labor costs are going up just about everywhere. Um, there's more and more of the increase in minimum wage, and then there's also some competition. Other companies are coming in. They're trying to steal good labor, and so you get into a little bit of a battle here. So automation can help in a lot of different areas for different reasons. Now, there's lots of technologies, and they all have use in one way or another, whether it's you know, an old tilt trace order or new sliding shoe sorter, or the latest rage is the hanging bag sortation system. There's, there's lots of different technologies, and they all have different purposes. So you really want to pick the right technology for what you're doing. And I will say as a warning, it's very easy to get emotionally attached to something because it's a whiz-bang. Let's look in my garage. You'll find that out in my garage. If it's cool, it's neat, then a lot of times you want it but it may not be the best solution for you. There are a lot of different factors that go into the technology that you have to be careful of because you have different sales channels. And if I'm picking retail, I might pick a full case of something, but if I'm picking e-commerce, then I'm like 1.2 to two lines per order. Well, that's broken case picking. It's a whole different animal than trying to pick a full case. But there's ways to combine those two. I can always add the 1.2 to what my retail is, and if I'm picking a case plus, you can use similar methods to do it. Now you just change the way you're sorting it on the back end. 
So there's a lot of different, different factors to look at. Those are just a few of them. But you want to look at those different factors and, and look at your operation and see what makes sense to do. Now, it's very easy to go in and come up with a return on investment. Every company has different rules on that. Some only allow you to use labor. Some allow you to do cost avoidance or some soft cost of that. However, you will find that even with an ROI, if you don't have the cash to buy it, it still won't happen. I had a customer just a couple states away from here who said, well, I can do a six-year ROI. Well, okay, the system was designed for them that was actually done in four years, but they didn't have $30 million. They just flat out didn't have the cash. So you've got to ask that question. What can I afford? What can I spend? Even if you do a phased implementation over time, it's still going to take 75 to 80% of the overall in the beginning because you still have to have the software. You still have to have you know, a main conveyor system. You still have to have storage. Now, there might be some parts and pieces you can add on to later, but for the most part, you're still putting out a good chunk of the money. So expect that it's going to take a good chunk of, of the capital, no matter what the system price ends up being, it'll take a good part of it right off the beginning. How long does it take? Well, you can plan on at least one to two years. And I'll go through the, the next slide, I'll kind of go through that, but you've got to design it, then you've got to pick somebody, then you've got to manufacture it, then you've got to install it, then you've got to test it, and then you've got to start to ramp it up. All of that takes time. And so over the course of trying to do it, you can find a pro an automation project that will run you one to two years. Specifically, you don't start to automate or even start to look at it until you feel the pain. That, that light at the end of the tunnel is a freight train. You figured that out. It's heading your way. You're already having to have problems. It's already caused a little bit of angst in the upper levels of management. They want something done. So it tends to be a little, you tend to be kind of really compressed there when you need to do it. So you're going to have at least three to six months to try to gather the data, do some analysis on your data, figure out what kind of options you have because there, are, there will be different options on the type of automation that you, you can or cannot use. Okay? Once you've figured out what it is you want to do, your design has to be somewhat generic. If you've got to go out to three different vendors, I guarantee you all three of them will have different strengths and weaknesses. You can't really for one particular vendor or you really kind of lose the ability to get competitive bids. But at the same time, once you do have a generic spec that they can, somebody can bid to and you do select somebody, all right, now you want to be able to take the time now to, to take advantage of some of the strengths that they may or may not have. Now you kind of go back and you tweak your design a little bit to fit whoever it is you've selected. So it takes a couple months to write the RFP, to get it out, then you're gonna go do some site visits, you're gonna go see some similar type of operations. I will warn you that you probably are not going to be invited into your competitor's operation that's doing exactly the same thing you do. <laughs> the question comes up all the time, where can I go see this in operation with my product? Well, you probably can't because they don't wanna let you in, pure and simple. But expect that to take some time. 
Also expected to take some time to play the negotiation game. You know, what, what are the payment terms that you can get away with? What do they want? You know, kind of go back and forth with all of that. Uh, you can do that. Hey, if you need some water, I think he has some water right there in the corner there. <laughs> it takes about six months to manufacture something. If it's conveyors, sorters, ASRS, something like that, it takes about six months. There's lead times on trying to get some of the bigger equipment, like the motors, things like that, have to have some lead time because they don't necessarily keep really expensive items like that sitting there on the floor waiting to be utilized. And then they tend to also look at what throughput rates are and you get the right size motor for what you're doing, that kind of thing. They don't necessarily put in a, you know, a monster 500 horsepower when you only need to have a 20 horsepower lawnmower. So it's, they'll kind of go through those kind of situations. But it takes that two to six months to do that. Then you're gonna to have to clear out your areas that you're gonna to wanna to do your installation in. You're gonna to have to move material out of it. You may have to tear down some racks, and of course all of this is taking place while you're extremely busy and that headlight's still headed your way, which makes things a little bit more difficult to do. But expect you know, two to six months to get it installed, and then you're gonna to wanna to ramp it up. You don't necessarily wanna do the big bang, turn it on, because things will fail, I guarantee it. There's only so much testing you can do without physically having the product there running at that rate. Imagine if if you've got a system that's trying to run 14,000 cartons an hour through it, and you're gonna do a test for an hour, you've got to stage 14,000 cartons someplace. Where are you gonna put it? It's, it's hard to do, it's hard to get that much material out ahead that you can do the testing, so what do you do? You tend to test a little bit after you start to go live, because that's when you're starting to push the volume. That's when you start to see some of these things breaks. There'll be scenarios that you just flat out can't anticipate and then you're gonna to have to fix them. And most of the time, it's not necessarily the hardware that's having the problem, it's the software. It's trying to figure out, okay, how do I do this, that, and the other, didn't expect to see this happen when that happened. You know, those, those scenarios take place. So you can kind of expect that, time of a, that kind of a time frame. There's a lot of disruptions that are gonna take place, guaranteed. First off, I mean, it starts all the way back to the design phase. You're gonna to have to take time away from your everyday activities to start interfacing with somebody. Start gathering data. Start talking about your problems. Start to put together what your growth factors are. What do you expect growth to look like in the next few years? Are you growing the number of SKUs by a certain rate? Are you growing your volume by a certain rate? Are orders changing by a different rate? They all have these differences and it's gonna take your time away from what you're doing to actually come up with all of this information. Now, what's gonna to happen to your overall system? Most suppliers of hardware and software are not going to do anything with your processes. The way you communicate with each other, the way that you go through and, and, and you know, set up your, your work cell or how you're gonna deal with something. If, you know, if, if I can't, my part's not showing up, what do I do about it? Who am I going to call? That's nothing that a vendor will normally give you. They'll, they'll give you the work cell, they'll give the ability for something to get there. They'll give you the ability to, to say yes or no, or I need, or something like that. But the actual processes that you physically have to go through are not gonna exist, and they're not gonna deliver that as part of their hardware or software solutions. So now you have to take 
and you have to clear some space. Well, not only do you have to clear the space for whatever automation is going to go in there, you have to give them room to lay down all of the items so that they actually can start assembling it and standing up. So if you're putting in rack, you've got to have a place to stack all these uprights and all of the beams, and then they've got to shoot the floor, so you kind of have to have the open space for them to shoot the floor, lay it out. Now they can start taking uprights and they can start to assemble it. So you're taking up almost twice as much space, and you're already to a, probably to a point where you're relatively full anyway. And then what do you do with all the material that you had there? Now you've got to come up with another way of, of, of storing it. Are you doing it off-site? Are you trying to do a little more just-in-time delivery from your vendors? There's a lot of different ways of doing that, but you have to do that. And so not only does it physically disrupt you, know, disrupt you now you've got to take the labor to take all that stuff out and move it and bring it back in and all that. And so now you're doing extra work as well. So it does take a lot more to putting together a, a system, even in the very beginning. But then you've got to do training on it. So you're going to get training on the equipment, and they'll teach, they'll teach maintenance how to maintain it. They'll teach you how to operate it, that kind of thing. But boy, you're drinking from a fire hose when that happens. It's hard to remember anything. So there's a fair amount of training and retraining that goes along, and you have this learning curve that's going to happen. So management might be back there thinking, OK, I've got some increase in productivity. I'm happening, and I'm going to hit a wall. And then I'm going to put in my new system, and I'm going to ramp it up, and then away I go, high speed. Reality is, you actually start to dip because you've taken that time away. You've had to start moving material. had to start clearing out areas. The productivity will tip. And then you're trying to learn it. And then you're trying to ramp it up. And eventually, it starts to increase. But there's a period of time from when you say, I'm going to ramp up to when it's actually able to do that. And I guarantee you, you're below that level when you start. And it doesn't take too long for somebody to say, OK, how's my new investment working? You turned it on yesterday. What's it doing? And it's like, all of a sudden, it's like, oh, well, we're about 40% worse than we were before we started it. Now you're getting a little more attention than you probably want. And things will change. It'll happen. You'll get there. But there, expect that pressure. You can combat that a little bit by setting expectations. This is what's going to happen. We're going to see this happen. These are all the things we have to do. We're going to be doing some prototyping. We've got to train people on how to do it. We've got to figure out who works best in which roles. We've got different kinds of management. Maintenance now has to be called when specific kind of errors happen, because automation doesn't want to hurt itself, and nor does it want to hurt the product. So it'll error out. It's not really that it's errored. It's stopped, because it doesn't want to do something wrong, and somebody needs to take the time to look at it. It could be that you know, you got a flap. You know, a piece of tape is flapping on the top of a carton as it's on a piece of automation. Well, it's going to detect that flapping and say, oh, something's outside of the envelope that I expected to see it. And I'm afraid I'm going to do damage, so I'm going to stop until somebody comes and takes care of this problem. And those are the kind of errors that you run into. They're different than something broke or I, you know, I broke a roller, I broke a, an arm, or something like that. Those are different kind of errors. And you'll run into those. You might run into errors where it thinks it needs to go store th something somewhere. There's something already there. And so now it's going to say, hey, I'm expecting this empty. 
something is in its location, I can either go put it away automatically somewhere else, but now I've got to create an exception report. Somebody needs to go check that location with that particular item, see where it's supposed to be, if it is where it is and just didn't get recorded. All that has to take place. So that all goes into this disruption of when you first start to come up online. Definitely use data to drive it. Nobody's got a crystal ball, but if you use historical data and say, this is how I expect things to change, this is how I expect growth to take place, and it can be in all these different kinds of, of factors and that, at least you're making an educated guess. It's a risk, but you're gonna have to take the risk, quite frankly. But if you don't do it with some data, with some historical data, with understanding what your processes are, then it's even a huger risk. And you don't want a $30 million boat anchor. That's one thing you don't want to have. So definitely use data to drive your design and where you're going. The bottom line there is the one line that I really think everybody needs to understand. Don't build it for Easter Sunday unless Easter Sunday happens 20 times a year. But you want to hit the 85th to 95th percentiles. In other words, 85 to 90% of all the days of the year, the system can handle that throughput. The other 5 to 15% of the time, you're going to have to run a little bit over time. Maybe you have to run part of a second shift. Maybe you're, you know, Black Friday or Cyber Mondays, you're just going to have to deal with those differently. But it doesn't necessarily make sense to pay the investment for something that's going to only happen once or twice a year. So look at that 85th to 95th percentile. It depends on your business and what it looks like when your peaks are as to what number you pick, but it should be somewhere in that range. Understand that automation is a system. It's not just a piece of equipment. There is an awful lot to the system. Every part of the system relies on some other part of the system. You can put in a super fast shuttle system that's a single aisle can pull 1,200 cartons an hour. But if you don't have a conveyor system that can handle that kind of rate, your shuttle's going to slow down. The shuttle won't go pick anything unless it has a place to drop it off. There has to be a clear spot for it. Well, the second something gets dropped off, what happens? That location is now occupied. And so the shuttle will say, oh, I don't have a place to put you. I'm going to sit and wait until I have a spot. Then when I have a spot, I'm going to take off. So now you have to build your output conveyors with a certain amount of queue based on how many loads you're going to be pulling out, the amount of time it takes to go get them. You have to build that in there so now you can look ahead and say, okay, I've got five slots here. I just dropped off two. I do have three empty or maybe I have one empty. I can take off and go get it. Otherwise, you lose your throughput. Your throughput dies. There's a lot of these interdependencies that take place. The software needs to know what's coming. You may have what are called in-route counters that say, I'm going to just make the assumption you can pick at a certain rate, and so I'm going to allow three to five items out onto the conveyor system, and it's going to get picked. I know it's going to, so I'll give it some time to do it, but I don't want to, I don't want to flood it. I don't want to put myself into a gridlock. So you start to get into all these different interdependencies that take place. The software is just as much a part of the system as anything else. 
I hear the comment a lot. Well, this is a single point of failure. Okay, a piece of equipment might be a single point of failure. Your software is a single point of failure, and you're not going to get around that. It'll always be there. Don't get too hung up on, oh, well, I have one sorter, and if the sorter's down, I'm down. Well, if your software's down, you're down, too. So, you know, keep software in mind. It gets forgotten an awful lot. Now, a lot of times, if you're running, you know, a, a, a WM module or something like that on SAP or Manhattan or some of these higher ends, they don't have the software to drive some of this equipment. There's an awful lot of logic that goes into trying to get the best throughput out of a piece of equipment. Where am I going to store it? How far back do I put it? Do I go to the nearest location? Am I trying to put one away or two away? Am I trying to pull one out in a certain period of time? Do I have to have something sequenced so one thing has to come out before another? Am I trying to play that sequential game? Do I have a, uh, a load that's been sitting there for a certain period of time and I have to have it aged and after a certain period of time I gotta go get it even if it's not in the easiest location to get? There's a lot of logic that goes into how the equipment runs and how it goes and gets it. Most of the vendors have their black box software. Trying to push that upline to an SAP doesn't make sense because A, they don't know the equipment, they don't know how it runs, they don't know all of the acceleration rates, deceleration rates, whether they're running empty or full, rates for all of those. Trying to understand all those rates and go through all of that, especially if you haven't done it before, makes no sense. I've seen back in the 90s, there was a company that, that made paste, and they had a simple AGV system, and they were just moving around big vats of toothpaste through the building. Said, oh, well, I can, I can do that. That's a simple traffic system. I have one ready. I'll go get it. They fought with that thing for a year and a half, just didn't really understand all of the effort that goes into trying to do a traffic system. What happens when you're trying to pick it up? How much queuing space you have to have behind it? When you should schedule it for when? And it just kind of kept steamrolling and steamrolling. But most of these vendors here have that. It's best if you let them use their software for that. Send them orders from your system, say, I need this. Let them figure out how to get it. What's the best way to store it? What's the best way to retrieve it? They can do that. They have the software to do that. So they do understand all of that. It does need to be engineered. I have seen many people go with systems, and I actually have a case study here I'll show you in a minute, where they decided, I'll be my own integrator. I'll buy this from him, his from him, this from him. I'll put it together, and it'll work. It didn't work. It's because of those interdependencies again, having to get it planned right, having to have enough queue space, all of that. That's all in there. And the more automation you have, the worse that can get. As I said before, avoid the emotional buy. That's yeah, a hard thing to do. It really is a hard thing to do. Try to get you know, some neutral voice to kind of help you walk down that path, but do try to avoid it, because the whiz-bang is cool and it is fun to buy. There's no question about it. And I'm guilty of that, too. Put in about 5% in your budget for spare parts. You're going to have to have some parts that you have on site 
that do wear out over time that you're going to want to replace that might be critical. Now, most vendors have A, B, and C rankings for their spares. It doesn't necessarily make sense to get all C's because most, most vendors actually don't carry the C's locally. They're going to have to order it from the factory. But A items, yeah, you're going to want to have A items. You're going to want to have those critical parts that you can replace right away to, to keep your system up and running. Automation takes maintenance. You've got to take care of it. Things wear out. They just do. And you have to have time to do it. If you don't sharpen the saw, it's not going to cut very well. But you have to build that in. Now, most of it is like quarterly. There's some things that you can do to go look for you know, shavings or something like that. There's that kind of thing that you can look at. But if you want the equipment to last, you really do need to maintain it. You do need to have a regular schedule. You do want to go out and check all the different parts and pieces that go on inside of your automation system. So make sure you plan for that, okay? And then I talked already a little bit about processes and these non-automated tasks. Definitely want to try to prototype that as much as you can and try it out. You can build a you know, two by four work cell or something like that and prototype it. Yeah, this is too tall or this is too deep or I need more locations on the top for corrugate or I need another place to, to stack my corrugate because I gotta pick it, whatever. Whatever that case may be, take the time to go ahead and build that and then have your people get out there and work on it. Try it out. And you'll find out that they actually, if you let them do that, they'll give you some feedback and they'll buy into the system better. Because everybody's afraid of change. You throw in automation, I guarantee the first thing they're going to do is saying, you're taking away my job with this robot. They're scared to death of it. And what are they going to do? They're not involved with it at all. They're going to sabotage it, basically. I did some postal systems back in the 90s. I can't count the number of times that all of a sudden all my wires got cut while we we're trying to do installation. People are afraid. I'm going to lose my job. This is taking away my job. Well, that's not necessarily the case. You're doing it for other reasons. But that fear still exists. If you do get them involved after, it doesn't make much sense to try to design by committee or you'll never get a, anybody will ever, no one will ever agree on everything. If you do get them involved with some things and do some minor tweaks and changes, you'll find that they start to get excited about what the change is what it's going to do for them. Oh, gee, my job's actually going to become easier, I still have a job, or I'm working with a cool piece of equipment now, or something like that. You'll start to find that that attitude will change, and then they'll make it work. They'll find out ways to make it work, because in the end, those are the individuals that are actually having to work with it. There are different types of automation you can look at. One's called islands of automation. Maybe you're just putting a piece of equipment out someplace in the middle of a distribution center that has a specific task, and that's all it does. Those are called islands of automation. You can upgrade. You can take, you can take a, and I have a, a customer that's done this at multiple sites. They had four huge tilt tray sorters, and they were doing retail apparel. And now they had a separate distribution center that was just doing e-commerce flooded them. They couldn't get enough e-commerce out, but retail was dropping off. Brick and mortar just isn't doing as well as e-commerce. 
but the number of orders goes way up with e-commerce, but the volume doesn't. It actually goes down. So how do you repurpose some equipment? Well, there are ways to do that. Actually, a way to take a chute and send a bunch of product down a chute and then sort it into a put wall. So you, there are ways to repurpose the equipment. And you know, look at doing that, because it can happen. There's your full systems, where you're going you're gonna to wipe out everything, and you're going to start over. It could be that you're doing Greenfield, you're moving into another facility, which vendors love that, because there's absolutely no competition for time. There's no competition for space. I mean, that's, that's the drill. Reality is, 95% of the time, you're running into a brownfield where you're trying to put something in an existing building because you've got a level of investment that you're trying to keep. So there's different types of automation that you can, you can go with. They can be conveyor systems. They can be just a picking system. Maybe you're just changing the layout. This, this one here just happens to be, that area was full of rack. And they blew it out and they put in a, a full palletizing system. I actually did a one-touch receipt meaning they unloaded their cartons onto a conveyor system and it went away. The next time they touched it was when it kicked out of that orange or blue palletizer as a full palletized either order or a single SKU. Nobody was touching it in between. So there's different, different ways of doing it. Um, you may just be doing a WMS system or a WCS where you're just controlling a conveyor system differently. Or you're doing palletizing, and it can be carousels that you're using to pick from. It could be that you're doing an ASRS, automated storage and retrieval. Maybe it's a unit load where you're handling pallets, or mini load where you're handling cartons, or shovels that are handling cartons at a much faster rate. There's all kinds of different levels of, of ASRS that are in there. But they're the automatic storing and retrieving of, of cartons or pallets. I will tell you that most companies, when you get their proposals, will tell you that they will guarantee that they have parts on hand for 10 years. After 10 years, they don't carry it. That's a lot of inventory for them to try to carry. And there's always pressure on the vendor side to make something bigger, faster, better, stronger, more reliable, which means you're phasing out older parts and you're getting newer parts in. So after about 10 years, you start to find that parts are a little bit more difficult to get. Okay. Software, it's not like your updates you get for Microsoft Office. Okay. There's a core level of software that exists that has things like picking, shipping, that kind of thing. But every customer has something different. They have a different top end, a different ERP. There's a level of software, they call it application layer. That application layer is written specifically based on what your business rules are. So that doesn't really change. And if you come up with new patches, you're really not changing that. That all stays the same. Really about the only thing they can change is something like, you know, maybe the database that they're using, maybe they're upgrading to a newer, newer database or something like that. But you'll find that the software upgrades aren't something that happens a lot because you're so unique in what it is you do. So realize that that doesn't really change much. Now, maybe you can add functions. In fact, in pretty much every system I can ever think of, you can always add another functionality to it. Easy to call up and say, hey, I want it to do this, that, and the other. That they can do. 
They can build that in. You can't get that, those kind of upgrades. They happen. But you're not going to get a, don't expect that every two weeks you're going to get some upgrade that pops up on your screen that says, hey, I'm ready to upgrade. Go ahead and run this and that kind of thing. So it won't happen. Okay. The hardware has very few upgrades. Unless there is a part that has a bad failure rate, and they're seeing that happen often, you're probably not going to get much upgrades to things like carousels, shuttles, mini loads, that kind of thing. There are very few. Conveyors and sorters, a little bit different. They have some parts and pieces you can, you can put in. You can refurbish them. They can be rebuilt. You know, if you have a slow time that you, know, you can afford to have something down and go through and, and rebuild it, that kind of thing can happen. You can always reconfigure conveyor. I've seen many customers who have said, okay, I want to, I want to phase in my automation, but I can't stop shipping, which is kind of obvious. I need to get material from where I am now to the new system. So maybe you put a couple lines of conveyor going over there, but then I'm going to shut down the old system and I'm going to start with a new one somewhere else. Maybe I'm picking in another area and the conveyor is going to come from that area. Well, you can usually take those new pieces of conveyor and as long as you know you're going to do this, it can be engineered in such a way that you can move it over and use it in another part of your system. But you're going to pay for installation twice. You're going to pay for the uninstallation, you're going to have to electrify it, you're going to have to do all the controls, all that wiring's going to have to take place. So you're going to spend a little more money doing it, but it can be repurposed and used that way. Sorters, conveyors, you can expect 20 years out of them. They will last that long. There are a lot of benefits to full systems. You can handle a lot more of your changes in peaks and valleys, you know, day-to-day -day business changes, that kind of thing. The automation can handle that. It's got the capability to do it. It doesn't call in sick very much. Um, I had one customer with 35% of their labor force doesn't show up the day after payday. Well, this will show up the day after payday. Okay. You can resell a lot of this stuff. I did. I did a project back in the 90s for Dell Computer when they first started to take, they were all over Austin. Every, every strip mall, every place you could find, they had something. And they built the Parmer facilities. And they did all that with automation. Well, over time, things changed. They sent a lot of that out to Mexico. They took all that equipment out and sold it to a grocery company there in, in Houston. They were able to buy that for pennies on a dollar, reinstall the automation, and they were able to make it work. So there's, some things can be resold, but it is, it's not the easiest thing to pick up and move either. It does cost a lot of money to pick something up and move it to another location. Because when you uninstall it, now you have to be very careful with it. You don't want to bend it. And then you're going to have to have everything labeled, and then you're going to have to move it, and you have to reset it up. And so there's a level of that that goes in there. Say most most companies are run into, they're doing some sort of an island of automation. Um, there are a lot of different reasons they may have done it. Uh, you know, maybe you've got you don't want to keep people out of your freezer. And if you've ever been in a minus 20 or minus 40 degree freezer, you understand why. It's not much fun to be inside of there. Nobody wants to be in there for long. Well, automation can handle because it, it can run without any problem in there because there's they make it to do that. Um, you can add to your existing operation, pretty easy, pretty easy to do. 
but you do have to do some of those things we talked about earlier, like you know, taking out equipment, trying to move materials, get it back in. There's that happens for months at a time. Uh, so you don't you do have to deal with that. You don't lose your labor force. You're keeping them during that period of time. So they kind of get to see what's happening. And there's an excitement level that goes along with that. Greenfield, those are, I say, those are vendors' dreams because there's just not any, there's no competition. But at the same time, you're paying for an existing facility and a new one. So you've got a lot of extra costs that does go into that. And that happens for about a year. Then you've got to transition everything out of there, so you're going to actually pick it all twice, and you're going to store it twice. Okay. Your last bit of automation is your most expensive. It costs a lot to do that. Fully automated systems that way, and you have to be careful. And there's a lot of things you can do to mitigate that, but you definitely have to do them, But you may not have to do if you're just doing an island of automation. Get multiple bids. We talked about designers trying to make it generic um, and then you know, exploit the advantages you get with a specific vendor because they will have that. Um, take the time to do that. Budget some money for the cool thing that they have or the advantage that they have if you upgraded something because they will have it. Um, so budget some money for that, kind of keep it in your back pocket, you know, 10%, you call it contingency or 15, whatever you want to call it but budget that for your project because they'll have something and it will help you out. So have that in your back pocket. Some of the things you want to do, simulation. You can simulate now just about anything. The uh, simulation programs that are out here you know, with AutoMod and, and AutoSim and some of these, they're able to actually take a lot of your automation that exists and actually put in all the parameters. They know what a lot of them are. And so you can get a very decent automation simulation running. And that will tell you where some of your, your throttle points are, things that you have to look out for. You can do a lot of what-if analysis with a simulation that you can't do with real hardware. All right. I said I'd go through case studies, and I have exactly three minutes. So this first one here. This is a closed-loop system. They received the material. They put it onto a conveyor, whether it was on pallet or by carton. It was automatically stored. It was automatically retrieved, automatically picked. The throttle in the system happened to be the conveyor that ran the empty trays back to the loading location. It was not big enough. It did not have enough cues. So what happened? They come down, something gets picked off, oh, nowhere for it to go because that line is not big enough, it's not fast enough. So everything came to a halt because of the simplest part of the system, which was just the empty return line. Those kind of things happen, and it happened with them. And this was a big system. They spent about $80 million on this system, and it killed them when they got up to those higher-end rates. Children's apparel facility. The customer did their own integration. They bought shuttles from one company, conveyor from another company, picking from another company. The conveyor system was not capable of handling the throughput the shuttles put out. So what happened? The shuttles never made rate because the conveyor couldn't get it there. And so the system didn't make rate. Even though they had the capacity to do it, one part of the system didn't work. It is a system. There was a company that, that 
did automation with multiple different types. They did an island of automation, and eventually they turned it into a full system. They were getting internal rates of return of 44% by doing it. So there are some serious advantages to them if it's done right. And that was one where they did an island of automation, then they expanded it to do a one-touch receiving, and then they ended up building other systems that were 90% automated, and they've rolled it out to all of the sites that they have across the country. Uh, this is a beef system. If you've ever been in a beef system, imagine trying to throw 110-pound boxes of, of hamburger. It's not an easy task to do over time, and you're in a, an environment that's between 20 and 32 degrees, so it's not a fun place to be, but you know, it's, it was able to all be done automatically. Very few people in the operation, but it was able to work without any problem. Bottom line, try to use it intelligently. Um, you know, don't, don't use the crescent wrench as a hammer. Although I'm trying to find that thing, I'd like to have one. <laughs> don't over-automate. It'll cost you a lot. It does put your company at risk if you do try to over-automate. Try to use designers who understand what's out there in the industry and who provides what. And, uh, you know, don't be afraid to ask for help because there's nothing worse than a $30 million boat anchor. Uh-oh, seconds over. All right. Any questions? Feel free to talk to myself or you can contact Jesse. Our booth is just right over here. If you want to come and talk to us, we're more than happy to do that. Thank you.